0: You take a basic low-sugar, low-carbohydrate diet, you try to tailor it around their food allergies, their blood type, keeping in mind that type O's are going to be less tolerant of carbs than type A's, and then also if they have leaky gut or not. As far as ketosis goes, there, was, there have been a few published papers showing that candida had evolved in the last 10 years, where it was actually starting to feed off ketone bodies.
1: Hello, hello, this is episode 409. I'm so glad to see you here. My name is Leanne Vogel. If you're new around these parts, I blog over at healthfulpursuit.com. I'm a functional medicine practitioner, functional uh, blood work specialist, I'm a holistic nutritionist, that's how I got started in 2007, and now I work with clients in my telehealth business, um, chatting with them about how to improve their health overall this is the Keto Diet Podcast. So we look at everything from a keto perspective and how to build out your life eating low carb. So it's not just about, can you hit your macros, bro? It's like way deeper than that. And yes, the ketogenic diet will achieve so many things. I know it's been such a blessing for me over the years. And now that I kind of dabble in like a keto low carb thing, um, moving in and out of ketosis on a weekly basis, I'm just... Oh, I just love it so much. I couldn't even imagine where my life would be without this diet. However, there's so much more to it than just hitting your macros. And so that's why we have the Keto Diet Podcast so we can get a lot deeper into this. And today, we're gonna be talking about Candida and i have gone in and out of whether or not i think candida is a huge issue Um, i was told that i had candida way 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 long ago i think it was even before i was a nutritionist i didn't know anything about it It was maybe around 2005 i was told that i had candida needed to go on the super strict diet and take all these supplements. It didn't help at all. And I was like, nah, Candida. And if you talk with most doctors, they'll say it's not a thing. You may have experienced Candida after a round of antibiotics. That's a quite a common thing. Okay. If you've lived in mold or had mold exposure, chances are you've experienced candida in some way, shape or form. Now in my functional medicine training, I've learned and seen firsthand that though candida can be gnarly and just absolutely terrible, it's usually not root cause. And so this is where I somewhat disagree with our guest today. And that's, That's the beauty of bodies and practitioners and our different practices and who we, who we, um, work with and who we attract to our practices. I've not found, you know, once we clear, clear candida, everything is better. What I've found is that generally, um, with the clients I'm working with, uh, candida is generally encouraged through exposure to metals and exposure to mold. Now our guests today and I do talk about mold issues. And he had said that the reason why people have issues with mold exposure is because they have candida. What I've seen is that they don't have candida until they get exposed to the mold and then they get candida because of the mold. And so a lot of this stuff just becomes like, which came first, the chicken or the egg. It's really like when a client says, well, what's the one thing that's making me sick? And I'm like, it's not one thing. It's like a dozen things. I think it's very much like this. I think Candida, definitely, definitely, definitely needs to be on our radar. We need to understand that not only will a high sugar diet feed Candida, but a high, ketone production in the body will feed candida and I talked about this in a video that I did back in I think it was like 2015 on YouTube and I upset a lot of people because it's not what you want to hear that your keto diet can actually make candida worse but that's the way it is so if you are curious about all things yeast you're in luck because that's what today's episode is all about So our uh, guest today is Dr. Biamonte. He's the founder of the Biamonte Center for Clinical Nutrition. He's the co-creator of BioCybernetics, which is an unprecedented computer software program that is able to study blood work, mineral tests, and other lab tests to determine exactly where your body is imbalanced, initially designed for aerospace purposes. Just a side note, I have not checked this out and I'm reminded by reading his biography how much I want to check this out because I love everything, mineral tests, labs, blood work, and everything. So I'll definitely update you guys on what I think about it. So as a practitioner for over 30 years, he is dedicated to improving the lives of his patients and helping them get back to living. He holds a doctorate of neutropathy and is a New York State certified clinical nutritionist. He is a professional member of the International and American Association of Clinical Nutritionists, the American College of Nutrition, and is a member of the Scientific Advisory Board for the Clinical Nutrition Certification Board. He is listed in the Directory of Distinguished Americans for his research in nutrition and physiology. Oh, I gotta say some people's bios are so epic that like, I just, it's incredible. So today we're talking about blood work markers in candida and what to look for. How to understand our GI tests, including low commensal and keystone bacterias, candida outside of the gut and how that works. If it does work and how candida moves through the body and how overgrowth of yeast happens. Is it antibiotics? Is it probiotics to help? Antifungals? What are we working with here? How to restore the commensal bacterias. So um, we're also talking about signs you're taking a good probiotic, other sources of candida. We talked a little bit about estrogens and their role in candida, uh, why you should care about candida, the diet that can support candida eradication the best, top non-gut symptoms that point to there being an issue in the gut, and how to test to see if there's something wrong in the gut. Okay. Okay. This is a good one. I hope you enjoy it. You can learn more from Dr. Biamonte by going to his Facebook page, which is the dash Biamonte center. And on YouTube, you can look for the Biamonte center as well. Okay. Let's cut to today's interview with Dr. Michael Biamonte. Hey, my name is Leanne Vogel. I'm fascinated with helping women navigate how to eat, move, and care for their bodies using a low-carb diet. I'm a small-town holistic nutritionist turned three-time international best-selling author turned functional medicine practitioner, offering telemedicine services around the globe to women looking to better their health and stop second-guessing themselves. I'm here to teach you how to wade through the wellness noise to get to the good stuff that'll help you achieve your goals. We're supporting your low-carb life beyond the if-it-fits-your-macros conversation. Hormones, emotions, relationship to your body, workouts, letdowns, motivation, blood work, detoxing, metabolism. I'm providing the tools to put your motivation into action. Think of it like quality time with your bestie mixed with a little med school so you're empowered at your next doctor visit. Get ready to be challenged and encouraged while you learn about your body and how to care for it better. This is the Keto Diet Podcast. Hi, Dr. Biamonte. How are you today?
0: I'm doing great. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing so well. Thank you so much for coming on the show today.
0: It's my pleasure. I'm sure we'll have an interesting time.
1: Yes. uh, There's so many questions that I have for you and just, uh, I'm looking forward to this discussion also. So I read your official bio, but in a couple of words, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got started in this work?
0: Well, I was originally a musician. I went to Nassau community college in Hofstra community and on Long Island for, as a music major, I was a guitar player, played classical guitar, jazz guitar, rock, rock guitar, And I started getting really interested in natural health because my father was ill. He had cancer. And I kept asking the doctors questions about, you know, what about his diet? What about vitamins? What about this stuff I heard called Laetrile from Mexico? And they just really brushed me off. So I I got more and more interested in it the more they brushed me off because I knew there had to be something there if they didn't want to talk about it. So eventually, I decided to go back to school. And I went back to school and became a naturopath. And it wasn't easy back in those days because they didn't really have naturopathic schools the way they do now. I had, to, um, I had to fly out sometimes to Arizona for a whole weekend, which is where the school was because I lived in New York. Sometimes they would fly a teacher out and they would be somewhere in the tri-state area where a lot of students were. And I basically spent my entire days in the library because the, they made it really tough. They they asked some really tough, questions and on the courses and in the curriculum. And eventually I graduated from school and I decided that what I wanted to do was develop a computer model that could analyze blood work because that was kind of my specialty was to study blood work and be able to see things into it that other doctors would really know how to see. Because I studied the work of Jim Seema and Ken Brockman, who were people who were kind of like barnstorming chiropractors who we're developing a lot of um, very advanced ways to be able to read patterns in blood work. So typical doctors look at one blood test and they look at one chemistry and that one chemistry means like one or two things. These guys were developing a system where you would look at multiple chemistries and look for patterns to indicate things that normally you wouldn't be able to see in a blood test. So I ended up finding out that there was a fellow in, in Massapequa, Long Island, who was already doing this. He already had a computer that was, like massing this data and a woman in a health food store told me about him and she said I should go meet him. So I went and met this gentleman and sure enough it turned out that he was the man who actually developed the life support systems on the lunar module but he also was a physiologist and also a naturopathic doctor. So he showed me his, uh, his work and everything that he was doing so I decided to join them And I spent the next like eight or seven, seven or eight years helping them develop this model of the human body. It was basically a Fortran computer software program that had the ability to replicate and run a simulation of what someone's body was doing if you gave it blood tests and other type of lab work. So I worked with this for quite some time. I was using it in my practice and getting really good results on cardiovascular disease and arthritis and diabetes and all these problems. But I noticed there was about 30% of the people who reacted strangely to the vitamins. And I couldn't figure out why that was. So I took it up as my own sort of uh, course to investigate why these people were reacting strangely to the vitamins. And lo and behold, I found they had candida. Now, I didn't really know much about candida. I looked it up in the medical textbooks once I found out that's what it was. And I told them, go back to, go to your doctor and tell him that you have candida he needs to cure you of this and then come back to us and we'll put you back on the vitamin programs. Well, that, I'm just it goes to show how ignorant I was back then. This was like back in 1985, 86. So these people would go to their doctors and the doctors would tell them there's no such thing as candida or all these crazy things. So then I decided, since I was in Manhattan, I said, well, go to Dr. Bob Atkins or Dr. Ronald Hoffman. These were the, the big functional medical doctors who were available at the time. And I said, tell them about this because they should know about this. They write about this in their books. And the people went and then they came back and they told me this was really good. He understood what it was. He knew everything about it. He put me on these medicines for it, which worked for a while and then it stopped working. So I said to myself, I've got to figure out what this is about. So I spent the next few years researching candida and talking mostly to a lot of patients who had failed treatments to find out what what was wrong with these treatments. And every time a patient would tell me about a a failed treatment and what the treatment was and what went wrong, I'd make notes on it. And then I'd go back to the medical textbooks, and I would figure out what was wrong, and I would find it in the textbooks. And one of the major things I found was that Candida was really very, very drug-resistive. Candida would become drug-resistive and mutate against a drug in about 21 days, and I noticed that all these doctors were putting people on, on antifungals and leaving them on them for months at a time. This one person even told me they were on Nystatin for five years. So I realized what these doctors were doing is they were driving the candida that these people had into super strains, super drug-resistive resu- strains. So I figured, out, I figured out what I could do about that and how to handle that. And then I would hear all these people coming in telling me they took all these probiotics and nothing happened. They wouldn't work. So then I went back to the medical textbooks, and sure enough, I found in a book called Bifidobacteria and Its Role by CVR Press, I found that these experts on bifidus bacteria were saying it, Were saying that candida and other dysbiotic organisms would repel probiotics, and the bifidus would not be able to, let's say, to re-inoculate or take stick to the colon and take up its area again until you got rid of the candida. So I realized you have all these people running around here taking probiotics while they have candida and and no wonder they're not getting well. This eventually, after about 10 years of this, led to me perfecting the candida treatment that I have now and then writing my book, The Candida Chronicles, where I explain this entire journey and I also go through all the do's and don'ts of the candida treatment. And that's pretty much here we are today.
1: That's incredible. And to like rewind a little bit, how did you know that that 30% of people, like how did you know it was candida?
0: Well, because I looked in their blood work and they had a pattern in their blood work. They had elevated lymphocytes and depressed neutrophils, which means that there's an infection in the colon. So then I had them submit stool samples to Genova. Well, then it was called Great Smokies Labs and these people started coming back with no friendly bacteria in their stool or candida showing in their stool. So I realized that because candida was very difficult to culture, and most of the candida would be dead by the time it ever made it to a lab in the little vial in the box, I realized that when I saw somebody who had no friendly bacteria showing up, it automatically meant they had an overgrowth of candida. Because without the friendly bacteria, candida's gonna grow. And that's what led to... Um, a very nice friendship I then had for quite some time with Steve Barry from uh, Great Smokies Labs, also Steve Barry and Marty Lee, who were the two head technical people there. And they allowed me to to um, have my patients do a lot of stool tests for free so I could test out my theories back then. And sure enough, uh, they we all concluded and we all made it part of the interpretation that if a person came back on a stool test, with no lactobacillus or no, no uh, bifidus bacteria or very low levels, we would automatically treat them for candida, whether they showed candida or not.
1: That's very, very cool. And I guess, would you say that candida can also be outside of the gut? Like if somebody were to do a stool test and then not see candida markers come up, could it be that the candida is not necessarily based in the gut? But
0: No, no, actually, okay. that's, Im- that's impossible because the gut is the nesting place for candida, and the gut is naturally where candida is gonna be. What will happen is when candida goes into overgrowth, candida will go from your colon, and because remember your lymph system drains into your colon. That's where your lymphatic fluid all goes. It goes into the colon. So it will go up. It's like, in a, you can imagine this like in a way, and it's like a sewage system. Here you have, you have the candida where it's supposed to be in the sewage, and now all of a sudden it starts to go up through the manhole covers and starts going up to the to the surface. So it will travel through your lymph system and then end up in your liver because that's a big spot. The liver lymph system drains into the colon. Same thing to do with, with, with the spleen too. So the candida can travel through the lymph system and end up in your, your gallbladder, your, your liver, your spleen. And then from there, if it's, if it's really virulent, it will uh, hitch a ride on your red blood cells. This is where dark field technology comes in because dark field will show this it will get attached to the blood cells and then it will start invading other places like your, your lungs or wherever.
1: Right, but you're saying it starts in the gut and then moves always. from there. Yeah, always, okay. always. And you mentioned lactobacillus being, I believe, being one of the, I believe that's a commensal bacteria. Are there other commensal bacterias that kind of maybe display that there could be candida?
0: There are three commensal bacteria that are the most important that represents the majority of what you've got. You have lactobacillus which is the from the acidophilus species. You have bifido which is bifidobacteria and its different forms. And then you have e coli which is grossly misunderstood in this country. E coli actually represents a majority of your commensal bacteria and the reason why it's con- it gets confused is because when people hear e coli they think of spoiled hamburger meat that's going to kill them. But there is actually a beneficial form of E. coli. We call it a neutral E. coli. It makes up the majority of your gram-negative bacteria in your colon, while the bifidus and the lactobacillus make up the majority of the gram-positive. On the gram-negative side, we have this neutral form of E. coli, which also prevents candida from growing. You just don't hear much about it because, you know, I'm actually not sure why you don't hear much about it. It must have something to do with the FDA and some misunderstandings they have about it because in Germany and in Europe, you can, you can buy this neutral E. coli uh, bacteria as a flora supplement, just like we buy uh, acidophilus here. So I can't speak to exactly what the confusion is on that, but those are the three big ones. Those are the three major commensals.
1: Okay, so if somebody thinks that they have this, or maybe they've even done a stool test, they're looking at the results. They're low in these commensal bacteria. Is it enough to just start taking those, or
0: uh, is it's a, actually the as I tell patients all the time, it's much more effective if you take the product that you have and go to, to the bathroom and just pour it directly in the toilet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, that's much more effective than you having to swallow it and having it go through its, pay, its paces because it's not going to stick. That's the bottom line. If acidophilus and bifidus and all these probiotics worked the way it's implied, I wouldn't be seeing 50, 60, 70 candida patients a week.
1: So would you say that, I guess to kind of like back it up a little bit, how are we getting, how is this happening? I guess is probably the best next question. Well,
0: that's a very good question. How it's happening is due to the widespread use uh, misuse of uh, antibiotics broad spectrum antibiotic I have twenty thirty years or f- maybe forty years going back treated for acne with antibiotics going forward from there is probably where we we see this then you know there's always a little thing here and there where you get something that kicks it up like when there was um The anthrax issue that we had after 9-11, the anthrax scare had, all these people were going on Cipro and when they went on Cipro, it wiped out their friendly bacteria and they developed candida. Then you had Lyme disease. When Lyme disease became well-known and people started being treated for Lyme disease with antibiotics, that was another thing that kicked up the candida for a while. So you'll, you'll find that every maybe 10 years or so, something happens, something comes into vogue where antibiotics have to be taken and at the same time that's going to increase the amount of Candida patients that are then out there.
1: Whether you're keto, low-carb, paleo, or somewhere in between, electrolytes facilitate hundreds of functions in the body, including the conduction of nerve impulses, hormonal regulation, nutrient absorption, and fluid balance. This is amplified on the ketogenic diet, but every human requires this balance. When you have adrenal hypo or hyperfunction, this affects your body's sodium-potassium balance. If you get headaches behind your left eye, that's a good sign you need sodium. If you get headaches behind your right eye, that's a good sign that you need potassium. I cannot tell you how many of my one-on-one clients come to me with an imbalance in electrolytes in some way, whether that be displaying in headaches, muscle cramps, fatigue, sleepiness, or seen right there in their blood work or their hair tissue mineral analysis. Much of this is improved with proper electrolyte supplementation. Now, I consume a lot of packets a day. There are days where I'll have three or four packets of element a day, but I definitely always, always have at least one and not just any type of electrolyte packets. It has to be element because there's no sugar, there's no fillers, there's no color, there's no artificial anything. It is crazy what other electrolyte brands will put in their packets. No, thank you. Now, what I really, really ultra love about Element is the balance of electrolytes. They have 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, and 60 milligrams of magnesium. Now, right now, Element is offering my listeners a free sample pack with any order. That's eight single-serving packets, totally free, with an Element order. This is a great way to try all eight flavors or share Element with a salty friend. Get yours by going to drinklmnt.com KDP. This deal is only available through my link. You must go to drinklmntcom KDP. And Element offers a no questions asked refund. So if you don't like it, contact them and get your money back. No questions asked. I gotta say, walking into my friend's house or jumping into a friend's car and seeing their element packets on the floor or in a little container on their counter is literally the best feeling. The fact that I get to share this product with you guys and you get to love it as much as I do is such a gift. Again, if you go to drinklmnt.com slash KDP, you can get your free sample pack with any order. Right. And so I think it's quite common knowledge now when we go on antibiotics, people will go to the health food store, grab a probiotic. Usually Espilardi is what I find most people go toward. Are you saying that that is completely pointless to do?
0: Yes, it's completely pointless to do.
1: And so if we need to take antibiotics, you know, because it does happen and we need to take them, what are the best steps to what avoid to this take, situation? You need to take an
0: antifungal. It's not, it's not because the antibiotics will wipe out the probiotic that you're taking to try to uh, protect yourself. An antifungal is the thing that the person wants to do. But they've got to be careful that they don't take that antifungal for longer than three weeks consistently because then they enter in the area where the, the candida can start becoming drug-resistant. So the, si- the simplest way, this this would work out great if this could happen. The doctor, the dentist tells you you've got to be on antibiotics for seven to 10 days. Person goes to the health food store they buy a really good product, which is a formula which has primarily either caprylic acid or undecylenic acid. They take that simultaneously, and they hope for the best. So that's your best shot against developing the candida. Taking, going to the health food store and buying uh, Saccharomyces boulardii or any other type of probiotic is just not going to do it from my experience. It's not, it just doesn't have the horsepower to
1: outkick that antibiotic. Okay. So what you're saying is basically we know the antibiotics mess up the commensal bacteria, basically making it lower. When it's lower then fung- like candida ends up growing. And so the purpose of taking the antifungal is to prevent that, that, from happening, and right. is that right? A,
0: yes, that's because the, in the in your microbiome, it's very simple. The commensal bacteria, particularly the gram-positive lactobacillus and bifida strains, actually use candida as a sort of food, so they eat candida to some degree, and they also suppress it, and they they also help keep um, a stimulation going for fecal IgG and IgA, uh, which stimulate your immune system to fight the candida. And without that, you know, it's it's not gonna it's not gonna be good. You're gonna end up with trouble. The longer the person's on the antibiotic And if they also coincidentally happen to have a bad diet while they're on the antibiotic, if they're eating a lot of sugar, drinking beer while they're on the antibiotic, they're just asking for candida.
1: Completely. And so we've gone on an antibiotic. We're taking our antifungal. We don't do it for a super long time, maximum three weeks. Do we need to be concerned about restoring the commensal bacteria? Or does that just happen naturally? No,
0: no. You should be concerned and you should make an attempt to do it. Because here's what will happen. If the person's lucky enough to have a copy of my book, they're gonna read in there that when they take probiotics, if they have really bad reactions to the probiotics, it means there's a strong possibility they have either leaky gut or really bad dysbiosis. And if they continue, but that could, that could go away in a few weeks. Once, because one of the signs that probiotics are actually working is you'll have a period of time, it's usually two to three weeks, of increased gas and bloating, and then it goes away while you're still taking the product. That's typical of my patients when they reach phase two part B of my candida treatment, which is the probiotic phase. They'll enter that phase. Their bloating and gas from the candida is much better. They go on the probiotics. All of a sudden, they have bloating and gas again for about two to three weeks, and it goes away. That's, that's a, an empirical sign that the probiotics have done their job. If the person that we're talking about here, on the other hand, does this and the gas and bloating doesn't go away, that's an indication that they now have candida, and that's a, a reaction of the probiotics against the candida.
1: Makes complete sense, and so we've talked about the sources of candida. One of the main ones being antibiotics. Have you seen other sources? I know my my practice primarily focuses on people that live in mold, and I see candida in almost every case. Have you seen that also, or are there other sources of candida outside of the antibiotics?
0: Candida is iatrogenic, so we all know the the word iatrogenic means it's doctor induced or drug induced. And the drugs that can cause candida would be primarily antibiotics, but it also can be steroids, prednisone, cortisone, it could be estrogens, it can be chemotherapy, it also can be antacids. Any kind of proton pump inhibitor or even an over-the-counter antacid, if it's abused, will cause candida. That's what I believe the majority of where the candida comes from. When it comes, from, when it comes to mold in the house, what's really interesting is let's say if you have this house with mold and there's five, there's going to be one or two of them that are much more severely affected by the mold. Those are the people who in the house who have candida pre-existing or developed it while they were in the house. The people who don't have the bad symptoms are the ones who don't have candida. They may be affected by the mold in different ways, but the ones who are really the most symptomatic are the ones who, are, who have candida. And usually they develop the candida through the... Uh, the, the The means that we just went over it's not from being in the house being in the house you have mold, you breathe it in a lot of it's going to unfortunately get into your your mouth, your throat, your lungs, some of it will go in your digestive tract but it's not it's not so typical unless you have a lifestyle that really leads to that so if you have a lifestyle where you eat sugar and drink beer all the time. Living in a house with mold, you could get candida spread through your digestive tract. That, that's feasible. You'll get other molds too and probably other forms of dysbiosis as well. But it's more the person who has already developed candida through uh, drug intake. And oh, the other one other thing I'll mention is that operations can cause candida, um, especially dental surgery because of the shock to the alimentary canal. We've seen a surprising amount of people who've had dental surgery and um, surgeries in general who will develop candida, not just from the IV antibiotics that you're given, but it's from the trauma to the body. And then the final thing that I can say, which we've, we've just learned in the last three years, is that COVID can cause candida. We've had numerous patients who had graduated from our program get COVID and then come back to us and saying, you know, I had COVID and now my symptoms of candida are coming back. And sure enough, we tested them and their candida was coming back. And it's also, by the way, the vaccine. The vaccine and COVID are equal in triggering candida. There isn't one that's necessarily more than the other. So when when I'm talking about COVID, I'm talking about either getting vaccinated or having COVID. Either one can cause candida.
1: Yeah, I can see how, you know, if we just look at living in a moldy home, oftentimes, you know, if you're saying that estrogen or probably an increase of estrogen can cause candida, I do see that. When individuals are living in a moldy home, their bio stops working really well. Therefore, their beta-glucuronidase is going to go up. They're not going to be cycling estrogen and getting it out of the body well. Therefore, it's recycled. And perhaps if excess estrogen then can lead to candida, perhaps that could be one of the connections there. Would you? Yeah, that's very
0: good. I give you an I give you an A on that one.
1: Yes okay, awesome. (laughs) Just, you know, thinking out loud to those women who, you know, it's not always just one thing, right? And then you
0: have the person, unfortunately, who's copper toxic. Now, 20 or 30 years ago, we had a higher incidence of copper toxicity because there were more old buildings and old homes with copper plumbing. Nowadays, because a lot of those buildings have been torn down or the copper plumbing has been replaced by PVC, you don't have as much. But that is still a formidable, uh, formidable um, problem is if the person becomes copper toxic and usually it's a woman who becomes copper toxic because a woman is estrogen-based and estrogen and copper have a certain synergy between them. Copper is responsible for forming enzymes that help detoxify estrogen and also that help your estrogen receptor sites become active. So copper and estrogen as, as a mineral and a hormone are probably the most simpatico that you're going to find. And uh, copper, unfortunately, is a big stimulator of candida, as is iron and also arsenic and mercury. The biggest stimulators from an element standpoint, candida, would be copper, uh, iron. And by the way, if you study the physiology of niastatin, you'll see that niastatin works by blocking the candida's uptake of iron. Then you also have um, vitamin D, unfortunately. I'll just throw that in because um, we're talking about the um, pharmacology on it. Ketoconazole, which is a very common antifungal drug, works by blocking the candida's uptake of vitamin D. That's how it kills candida. But back to the minerals, we have copper, iron, mercury, arsenic, and then from kind of a a sideways way, aluminum. Aluminum causes candida because aluminum is highly alkalizing. And if a person gets enough aluminum in their system, It's gonna raise their intestinal pH, and candida likes a high pH. Candida doesn't like acid. Acid kills candida. Alkalinity is what candida thrives in. So someone who's aluminum toxic, can find that their colon pH could eventually go past um, 7.4, 7.5, 6, 7, 7 7.8, that's where candida likes the pH to be for it to grow.
1: Right. And that's probably why PPIs then can lead to issues with candida because it's, in fact, lowering the stomach acid usually then these people are getting H. pylori and it all kind of comes together. I agree with you on the copper pipes. I think a huge thing that women don't think about is hormonal birth control and copper IUDs as being a source of copper. That's a big one I see in my practice over and over and over again. And the slower you oxidize, then the more copper toxic. It's like this compounding issue.
0: Yes, this is very true. And it's difficult because you get, you'll have misguided doctors. I'm gonna say they're misguided because I learned this from them and I learned it the hard way. I've had patients come to me who will talk about several practitioners that exist in the mid, the, sort of the mid part of our country who are very famous for handling Candida and handling these types of uh, opportunistic infections. And the kind of their theme is that if you don't get rid of the mercury first, you can't get rid of the candida. And that theoretically makes a lot of sense until you actually try to do it. I've had so many, of, so many patients from these doctors in the last 15 years come to me telling me the same story. It made sense what he said. He put me on the mercury program. My candida flared up like crazy, and I couldn't, I couldn't take it. This is why I learned that you don't handle the toxic metals in the beginning of the program. You wanna get the candida under control, get some semblance of balance in the person's flora before you attempt to, to detox them of the metal because trying to do it the other way around from empirically from experience just didn't work. Now there are, there are times where you have, to, the person's metals might be so high that you have to unburden some of the metals while you're doing this. That's a rare case where I would have the person on a candida protocol and a metal protocol at the same time and we would be paying a lot of attention to this person, adjusting what they're doing constantly and we'd be inch by inch, you know, moving up but as a general rule, addressing the metals first usually makes the candida condition worse.
1: Yes, I've seen that in my own practice also. I've seen crazy things that in that regard. And also just understanding that if you have candida, your gut probably isn't working ideally. And if you are trying to detoxify metals, uh, you need those drainage pathways to be open. And I've seen that time and time and time again, or even individuals that go to get their mercury amalgams removed, and they have the worst flares of Candida yeast issues while they're having those removals. I agree with you that that clear order of operations is so, so, so good um, because most
0: people don't appreciate the yeah. fact that bifidobacteria is essential for phase one and phase two to take place. I don't know if it was, I don't know why, but um, if you're going to think about that for a second, if bifidus is so intricate to phase one and phase two, I think particularly more phase one, then why would you try to do something like, why would you try to do this whole big detox program if the person's bifidus is obviously crippled and they have candida?
1: Completely, they don't have the substrates to be able to handle. I mean, mercury is a is a big gun. It's going to take a while to to get that out of the body. And so, why? why should we care about this? I guess is the next place I want to go. Why is this important? Why should we care? I get that people have horrible candida symptoms and then they care, but if they just, eh, it's not really a big deal. Why should they care about this candida and their gut and overall issues?
0: They should care because candida can eventually lead to cancer. It can lead to rheumatoid arthritis. It could lead to a whole host of really chronic debilitating disease. That's that's an advance of candida that will definitely get their attention. But if we're not going to go that extreme, candida creates a lot of symptoms. Candida can create up to 150 different symptoms. And if the person wants to avoid living in this mystery of why they have all these different symptoms that don't seem to make any sense, then they want to get rid of their candida because The range of symptoms that candida causes will go from fatigue to cognitive problems, to allergies, to chemical intolerances, to arthritic pain, to a whole host of digestive problems, to rashes. So you have all these symptoms I just named categorically, which you wouldn't necessarily think they make any sense related to each other. Like who would relate the fact that they can't remember where Aunt Josie lives anymore? They have to constantly look it up in a book to the rash they have.
1: Yeah, completely. You see, my,
0: you see my point. The symptoms are very wide and varied from candida. And it's, it's unlikely that the, um, the average person, unless they really research this, is going to have a clue as to what's really going on. The patients that we guess who come to us usually have been fighting this for 10 years. They've been to at least five or six different doctors, probably spent $10,000 already you know, trying to handle it. And typically, they know more about it by now than the doctors they've been seeing.
1: Completely. It's, yeah, it's so unfortunate that it takes so long to find somebody that can really help and that knows what they're doing and can manage things well. Now you mentioned beer, sugar, things we probably shouldn't be eating even to avoid candida, but where does diet play into this as it relates to a low-carb diet, is a deep state of ketosis the way to go or not when it comes to candida? Can you fill in the diet blanks for us?
0: Yeah, actually, actually, diet is a very confused subject when it comes to candida. You go on the internet and you hear a host of diets that are totally contrary, and a lot of it is because the person writing the diet or publicizing this is doing something that worked for them, and they then try to use that on their patients, and then it works on a certain percentage. In reality, when you study the metabolism of of funguses and yeasts, it's very simple. What feeds them is sugar and carbs and fructose also is, is in there. I mentioned beer because beer has maltose and giving maltose to a fungus or yeast is like throwing gasoline on a fire. So a candida diet doesn't always necessarily have to be some work of art or rocket science. It essentially needs to be low in and if you have a, a diet that's low in sugar and low in carbs, you pretty much have most of it. Then after that, you have to take into consideration the person's own individuality, what their allergies might have might be, what they've if they've developed allergies, if they have leaky gut syndrome, if they have leaky gut syndrome, it means you automatically want to get them off fermented food and raw food because those are the two things that will tend to make leaky gut worse, which is raw food and, and fermented food. And there you have it for the most part. You, know, you take a basic low-sugar, low-carbohydrate diet. You try to tailor it around their food allergies, their blood type, keeping in mind that type O's are going to be less tolerant of carbs than type A's, and then also if they have leaky gut or not. As far as ketosis goes, there, was, there have been a few published papers showing that candida had evolved in the last 10 years where it was actually starting to feed off ketone bodies. When I read this, I didn't, I didn't believe it. And then I had a couple of patients who were doing fine go on ketosis diets and actually went into ketosis and their candida flared up a little bit. And that made me raise an eyebrow because ketone bodies, if you study them, are very similar to alcohols. So I could see how that could be. I'm not so totally sold on on putting uh, preventing people from going on a, a ketosis diet because it it's still more right than wrong because you're keeping your carbs down and your sugars down. But it's something. It's just something to watch out for. If you have a person who goes into ketosis and their candida gets worse, that would be the the, the answer as to why that is.
1: Yes, I've seen that a lot clinically, especially when people are taking the exogenous ketones and fasting a whole bunch and just really, really, really pushing pushing it. Um, I've seen that quite quite consistently throughout my practice. So we talked about some of the symptoms of issues with candida and how this kind of spreads, why we should care. If somebody is listening today and they're like, I don't even know, you're talking about this leaky gut thing. You're talking about candida. What are some non-gut symptoms that point to there being an issue in the gut?
0: Well, as they go back to fatigue, if the person suddenly encounters fatigue where they have no explanation for why, and if it's coincidental to having a surgery, taking estrogens, taking prednisones, you want to sort of make a time map or a time track and see if, if you can draw a similarity or a coincidence between these things. Unfortunately, sometimes it takes years for it to brew, but nonetheless, I still think it's worth it. Because we will get patients who, when they fill out their, their uh, history forms for us, will have their own realization or cognition, or they'll, they'll say, gee, you know, I I looked at this whole thing, and now I realize that it was after I took those antibiotics for my acne, the years after that is where all of these Candida symptoms started to occur. So that can be very useful to make a time track of your health and look for areas of coincidence
1: so i track my macros every three to four days instead of every day because i don't know about you but i can get really nuts over the whole process if i'm doing it daily but the twice a week tracking helps me stay on target helps me learn my natural tendencies especially when i'm left unsupervised and it actually encourages me to change habits ongoing this process has helped me feel out what it's like when I don't eat enough fat in the day. I'm sure you've had this feeling before too. The clock strikes like 7.30 p.m. You've had dinner a little over an hour ago, and now you're in the mood for something. On days I'm tracking, this feeling is always because I don't have enough fat during the day. Always. I'm usually about 20 to 30 grams or 180 to like 270 calories short of my fat for the day with a very little wiggle room on carbs or protein. That's never a problem for me. So what do you do when you're hungry? You have 200-ish calories to spare, but they can only be mostly fat. Now, if you're hardcore like me, coconut oil definitely came to mind, but no, that's not where we're going today. We're going to talk about macadamia nuts. Instead of grabbing for that snack-sized Boom Chicka Pop or those Keto Oreos from Costco, macadamia nuts are the world's natural fat bomb, rich in monounsaturated fat, over 60% fiber, and has a potent dose of potassium too. This is the mineral that sensitizes your cells to uptake thyroid hormones so that your metabolism stays revved up one serving of 270 calories and a whopping 27 grams of fat so you can hit your fat macro without having to eat another one of those cream cheese fat bombs you have in your freezer. No thanks. And let's talk a sec about monounsaturated fats. They encourage weight loss. They reduce pain and stiffness. They lower the risk of heart disease and stroke. They balance out LDL cholesterol and improve blood sugar control. Plus, macadamias taste delicious, but it's really hard to find macadamia nuts that don't taste like plasticky or they're really crumbly and dry and they don't have crunch. This is why the only brand I trust and prefer is House of Macadamias, because they source directly from farmers and hand sort their products in the world's leading harvest facility in South Africa. I love, love, love the macadamia packs from houseofmacadamias.com. Each little packet is loaded with flavor. They have onion, sea salt, zesty salsa, chocolate, white chocolate, and white chocolate raspberry dipped dairy-free flavors loaded with those fats that you need without any funky ingredients. And did I say they're all dairy-free? That's incredible. Head to houseofmacadamias.com slash KDP and check out their selection of fat-filled snacks. They even have bars too, which I really enjoy. And if you like what you see, use the code KDP20 for 20% off your first purchase. That's houseofmacadamias.com slash KDP. Use the code KDP20 for 20% off. Yeah, completely that deep history, like just taking taking a couple nights to just write things down and jot down your own history, years and months and dates and how you were feeling um can be really helpful. I totally agree with you. Now, if we've determined that there is something going on with the gut, how do we test? You've talked a little bit about blood works, the neutrophils, lymphocytes and that imbalance there. Um, You've talked a little bit about stool testing. If somebody's thinking, maybe I do have this issue, what's the best test and what have you seen um, that can highlight some areas that they need to focus on?
0: The three tests that I use, the one that I use the most is my own proprietary home urine test. It's a a test kit we send to the patient. They do the test at home with a first morning urine sample. It has six different parts. It measures their albumin-based candida antigens that are found in their urine. It measures free radicals from candida, and it measures putrefying protein that would be found in in someone with SIBO or a bacterial dysbiosis. That's the test I tend to use the most because that test also worsens when the person has die-off, which is extremely useful to know. If you have a patient who's complaining they feel horrible on this program, this is bad for me, blah, 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 And then you test them and they see they're actually having die-off. The resolution of that is lower the dose a little bit, drink more water, drink celery juice with lemon juice. That usually helps handle a lot of the die-off. Various things can be done to help the die-off, but you know at least what's really going on. It's not that they're getting worse. They're getting better. They just don't know how to interpret the Herxheimer reaction they're getting. Then you have, from Great Plains Labs, you have the organic acid dysbiosis panel that they do, which is going to look for specific organic acids, which are an indication, uh, a pretty good indication that there's a, a candida overgrowth. Then you have a microbiome test. You have the whole, there's the whole new line of stool tests we've gotten in the last 10 years or so that are all essentially copies of the original GI effects test. Uh, the GIFX test was done by a lab whose name I forgot. They were taken over by Genova Labs. Genova Labs bought them. And um, the GIFX test is essentially a DNA stool test. It looks for DNA of all these microbes. And the most accurate form of that test is when you include the microscopy. And it's it's funny why that is, actually. Um, Most people will look at the DNA profile and they'll look for DNA from Candida. And when they don't find that, then they look at the culture, which is the, the, the traditional culture that they still do on those tests, and they look for candida being cultured. And they don't find that. The next place you want to look on the test is the microscopy, because they will very often find, if you do the three-day test, three stool collections in a row, they'll find dead yeast under the microscope. And once once you see that, you've established that, you've hit pay dirt. Because if they find a large amount of dead yeast, it means that dead yeast had to be alive at one point, and then there's your there's your yeast problem right there. It's being shown. Um, if you do one of those tests and you look at your commensal bacteria, if you find there's an absence of of the big three, Bifidus, Lactobacillus, or the friendly E. coli, as I call it, then you know you you have Candida constantly. People are are asking me, or questioning, saying, "Well, I did the stool test. It it showed this. It showed Klebsiella. It showed Citrobacter. It showed this. It showed that." I didn't have any commensal bacteria, but it didn't show candida, so I guess it's not there. No, that's a hundred percent not true. That's not, and that's not the way we teach um, the interpretation behind closed doors. You can't really. The FDA doesn't want you to, to get into this type of interpretation because it's it's subject to error or to controversy. But the fact of the matter is, if you do a stool test and you don't find any of the the three commensals, the big ones, candida is going to grow because those are the microbes that are suppressing the candida. That And your intestinal tract, they act as a governor. They suppress the growth of candida. So once those bacteria are absent, you automatically get an overgrowth, whether or not they happen to be lucky enough to find the candida in your stool or not.
1: Yeah, completely. And just to wrap things up, I would love to know where people can learn more about these tests and more about you and connect with you. If there's something that you've shared where they really love it and they want to connect with you, where can they do that?
0: Well, they can they can look me up at health-truth.com. They can also find me on the website, the New York City Candida Doctor and the New York City Thyroid Doctor, which coincidentally opens up a little door for us to speak a little bit more about something in particular. The reason I have a website devoted to thyroid is because candida problems and thyroid problems are very related. There's a host of situations that candida can cause in the body that influence your thyroid, which are not typically known by mainstream. And that's why as a as a specialty, I also specialize in thyroid issues because of that reason. But anyway, those are the three places they can find me. The health dash truth.com website, New York City Candida doctor, New York City um, thyroid doctor. They can also find my book on Amazon the book is called the Candida Chronicles aptly named my journey through this and you will find it on Amazon.
1: That's incredible. Dr. Biamonte. thank you so much for coming on the show and chatting with us about Candida. I really enjoyed it and I hope everyone else did and learned a little something or has a whole sheet of paper that they filled up with ideas. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. I hope you enjoyed our time with Dr. Biamonte. You can check out his book, Candida Chronicles. It's accessible on Amazon. Again, his Facebook is the-Biamonte-Center. Biamonte is B-I-A-M-O-N-T-E-Center. Okay, we'll see you back here for another episode of the Keto Diet Podcast next Tuesday. Okay, bye. Thanks for listening. Join us next Tuesday for another episode of the Keto Diet Podcast. Looking for more resources? Go to healthfulpursuit.com for keto meal plans, weight loss programs, low-carb recipes, and oodles of free resources to get you going. The Keto Diet Podcast, including show notes and links, provides information and in respect to healthy living, recipes, nutrition, and diet, and is intended for informational purposes only. The information provided is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment, nor is it to be construed as such. We cannot guarantee that the information provided on the Keto Diet Podcast reflects the most up-to-date medical research. Information is provided without any representation or warranties of any kind. Please consult a qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding your health and nutrition program.